0: Welcome back to another episode of Summoner's Corner. I'm your host, Will, and I am joined by the other host, Josh. How's it going, my dude? It's going. We got another week in the books here. Another week? It was an exciting one. A little spoilers for what we're going to be talking about. There are no undefeated teams, and there are now no teams that have not won. There are no zeros in the scoreboards.
1: Yeah, and really, the way the standings are shaping up—who could have seen it like this at the beginning of the league?
0: It's—it's it, it's very interesting to see, and I'm excited to get into it. All right, so first game. Actually, I, I've got—I've got something that I want to touch on really, really quickly before we do. Anything else? So the the first core game that we're going to talk about is EG versus C9. EG end up getting the win, which uh I think was pretty unexpected overall. EG lost both of their other games that they played, and in response to this, Cloud9 at the end of the weekend tweets out, "Hey at LCS official, can you forward the how to be EG playbook to us again? Seems like everyone got a cc'd but us. Thanks." Wow so c9 twitter coming out with another banger c9 twitter just always seems to be on it
1: they really do Wh- whoever their social
0: media team is over there they just kill it every week it's so funny i i, I love their tweets so much so to, to start off the week on the friday Game one is 100 Thieves versus FlyQuest. 100 Thieves come out on top. Second game, TL versus CLG. Very expected. TL gets the win. Third game is the one that we're going to be talking about. That's the EG versus C9 with EG taking the dub. After that, we got TSM versus Golden Guardians. TSM come out on top of that one. And the last game on day one was Dignitas versus Immortals with Dig getting the win. Uh, we'll talk about it a little more, but Dignitas went 3-0 and this weekend, which is uh, really impressive after their 1-2 and start. It is. They're ba- bouncing back really well right now. There is something to be said for their strength
1: of schedule, so... For sure. You know... take this through a week with a grain of salt for sure but it's definitely a big ups for them
0: yeah so first game that we're going to be touching on unfortunately in my opinion is the cloud nine versus evil genius game i i watched these kind of out of order caught a lot of the vods i didn't watch many of these games live and something that perks talked about after their second game the the game on the saturday is that I i guess they were trying something new in that draft my only assumption looking at the draft, is the Blitzcrank. Because that's the one thing that stood out as something that Cloud9 has not played yet on stage. I I don't know if they've done it in scrims or anything. And it came out, as we've seen many times, and as we talked about on the last episode, as the counterpick for the Tom Kench.
1: Yeah, so I find it weird if they they were alluding to that just because that seems to have become a very standard counterpick.
0: It does, but I feel like it's not Vulcan's play style I mean it's a it's an engaged champion but it's not a go in and engage champion which is really what he shines on
1: that is very fair
0: and to be frank he did not look good on it in this game not overall. at all he looked super uncomfortable on it and and one of my main notes EG played the Tom Kench Sentinel. It, that just looks like one of the strongest bot lanes that you can pick right now. And we're seeing teams banning out the Senna quite often at this point. And really, the only time Tom, Tom Kench is played is alongside the Senna. So people aren't too afraid of that.
1: Yeah, it really is just crazy safety in, inside of lane and also to, like, ganks and stuff. There was an instance in this game where uh, the the Kench-Senna were ganked by Talia Wall. Yeah. And Kench walked over to the wall, spat Santa over the wall, and then flashed out after her. And it's it's like, okay, like you burned one flash with with all your ults and all your pressure bot.
0: Yeah, it just completely nullified the gank. The the power of that lane and the safety of it is seems to be pretty unrivaled. I think the only other lane that, that can keep up with the safety of Tom Kench Senna right now is the Thresh and Callista, which we've seen played a few times as well. Uh, it, does, it doesn't it does scale as well, though, and I think that's why we're seeing the the Senna be much more of a priority for teams. Um, one other thing that I want to touch on for draft is we're still seeing a really, really big focus on globals in this game. There was the Twisted Fate, Pantheon, and Shen. All got banned. And then Senna, Tom Kench, Taliyah, Ryze, and Galio got picks, and all of those have global or semi-global alts that help them get around the map. So uh, the meta seems to be pretty solidified right now, with, with a lot of focus on these high-roam, high-mobility uh, champions that are able to turn fights.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if this is necessarily going to change anytime soon without some sort of major um, cooldown changes. Uh, to the way ultimates work. It just, it seems like there's always an ultimate up right now to impact the map globally. And Riot's solution to this in the past, it, and this is going back quite a ways, I'm talking like season two, et cetera, uh, with, with, with like Carth- Karthus Ulti, for example, they just nerfed it by like 30 seconds at all ranks, which seems very extreme. But when you look at these games and you look at the sort of, omnipresence these champions always seem to be able to bring, right? Like, Galio always being able to bail his team out, um, um, Shen always being able to show up in the right lane, Ryze being able to ult his whole team wherever. It it all just seems like there are almost too many tools right now.
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree, but at the same time, it makes for really exciting games. I mean, as a viewer, I'm not sure if I'm really on board with nerfs, but uh, when the meta becomes stale it definitely feels like something needs to happen.
1: And really, that's the thing. I, I think that while this gameplay is interesting right now, and I, I'm a huge fan of fights and dives and all that sort of thing, but I think when it becomes a very standard regimented set of picks and bans, something has to be shaken up just to keep the game interesting at that point.
0: And, and going off of that, we're, we're kind of uh, getting off of, off of the game and more into uh, ju- just league or lcs as a whole one of the other things that's changing which will i think result in a pretty big meta shift is there's jungle changes coming uh i think it's this patch for live so lcs will probably see it like two weeks from now sort of thing but they're reducing gold and experience gain from jungle camps so these power farming champions are uh, probably aren't going to be in the meta anymore. We're probably gonna uh, the we won't see as much as the Olaf, the Nidalee, the Talia, all these champs that are that have really fast clears. I think the meta is going to sh- shift to more gank-heavy junglers overall. So that will be uh, a bit of a shift right there, at least for the meta. And it'll be interesting to see how that impacts other roles potentially as well.
1: Yeah, no, it it'll definitely have an impact. I, it's just going to be a while before we actually see those going through into competitive. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. So getting back into this game, the first major event is there, there's a two for two trade in the bot lane. However, EG come out ahead with this. C9 burned two TPs to to get this two for two. Meanwhile, Jizuke is able to just sit mid on rise, taking CS, and he got one, maybe two tower plates i don't remember exactly but he's able to just get a, a huge gold lead overall um on perks perks is able to pick up i think two kills i think he got both of the kills in that fight yeah he was 2-0 overall uh being able to stay in lane and and get an experience and cs lead is huge and really makes it so that eg right off the bat are just up up in gold and up overall on the map
1: yeah and uh to to expand on that Lee Jazuke got mid he just took first turret himself like pressuring perks under tower the whole the whole game basically
0: yeah a- after that he he really just asserted lane dominance getting the cs lead getting the experience lead perks wasn't able to do much against him at all i kind of expected in in a galio rise matchup rise has the tools to be safe from galio and uh, one of my notes is perks wasn't even really going for a damage build he went for more of a engage build building the Shirelias, which I found was really interesting. I think it could be good in some scenarios, but uh, at that point, he was the only person with any kills on the team. I think uh, for this game specifically, I would have much rather him go for the Proto Belt if he wanted more playmaking. Gives you extra mobility and stuff. I think it's actually called Rocket Belt or something now. I believe they changed the name. Anyways, or even the the Harvester, which we've seen build a decent amount because it it gives you such a huge damage buff in in team fights. But he goes for the Shirelias. Overall, we don't see him do much with it, really. We see Fudge was losing lane uh, again with this new player coming in to just one of these top teams. We're going to be much more critical of them uh, as opposed to to rookies and, and newer players coming into teams that are more in rebuild mode. Um, but Fudge is at the 7-minute mark. He's down like 23 CS, and he was down 2 levels as well, which is just a huge difference.
1: Yeah, so this is into a tank. And they did kind of call Impact's bluff in the pick and bans because... They know Impact is going to play a tank. I- Impact is quickly becoming the tank king. You know, this is usually uh, one one team k- picks Camille, the other team picks Jax, and it's just sort of that counter matchup, and Jax
0: scales really well into the late game. They know that's not going to happen. Typically, Camille bullies tanks and trades because yeah, she has the true damage on her second Q. Eventually, in late game, it practically becomes Cho'Gath ultimate with how much damage it does.
1: Now, that being said, in this lane, between impact being just so, so powerful on tanks and fudge just not quite being there, It just not quite seeming up to the standard of, of the top lane meta,
0: the, the, the top lane. Um... Yeah, I mean, like it, it didn't really feel like uh, there were any major misplays anything from him overall i think he played it like fine he just wasn't CSing very well against impact impact was able to like push him off waves fairly often because as you said impact is just kind of becoming this tank king in the top lane which makes him so hard to deal with and I i think that was really the big difference um obviously i would still like to see more from fudge but uh, compared to previous games, having no major misplays, it's better than what we've seen in in, in other matches. So I, I'm happy with that. But he still needs to to pick up on on the CSing and just experience gain overall because we're we're seeing this repetition of him falling behind in lane.
1: Yeah, and you know there there is something to be said for that being the unfavored side of the map for C9 as well. You know they they do usually win through bot lane, so it it is. Hard to quantify with Fudge more often being left to fend for himself. But at the same time, you can only allow this pattern to continue for so long before you really call it out and have to
0: hammer down on your problems. Yeah, and uh, one other big note that I have for this game. You know, I've I've been praising Blabber a lot. I think he's an incredible mechanical player and incredibly smart player as well. But oh boy, did he make a, a... Pretty big mistake, in my opinion. Uh, around the ten-minute mark, C9 starts up Dragon. Blabbers there, but he doesn't have smite. He doesn't have smite up, which means EG literally just walks in. Uh, Cloud9 not willing to take a fight, kind of just walks away, and Sven smites Dragon, and that's it. It was just it. It was pretty much a full leash from Cloud9 as well. By the time that EG got there, it was practically dead already. So Sven Skarren walks in autos it once maybe twice and smites and that's it and uh i i really don't know what they were thinking maybe they're thinking they could sneak it or something but uh a huge misplay in my opinion from from blabber and cloud nine overall it was very frustrating seeing that happen because i i just don't understand why they would try that
1: yeah c9 kind of looked lost at quite a few points in this game to be honest like you're used to them being ahead them having those decisive engages decisive fights and in this game they just look scared most of the time and and there's a lot to be said for a team that understands they're behind and doesn't want to take unnecessary risk uh and to their credit they do come back moving further into the mid game you know the the kills go from uh five three to ten six right so so C9 does manage to come back, does manage to get uh, a Baron buff for a decisive win uh, in a team fight. But other than that one fight, they really don't look like they showed up during during this game uh, in the same way we, we've come to expect them to.
0: For sure, yeah. They, they just looked really un- uncomfortable overall through through the most of this game. Like you said, they had like a couple nice plays in the mid-game, taking that Baron and stuff. But overall, it was rough. And e- even that Baron that they got my main note is it, on it is it. it really felt like that was just stalling the game more than anything. It really didn't even feel like a comeback attempt from them. It felt like just, let's try and survive as long as we can. That's kind of the vibes that I got from this game from Cloud9, and that's just not good. You can't go in with that mentality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing to point out, and that this is going to be a recurring theme. This is something we've touched on in previous weeks. E.g., get the first three dragons. When you can take the first three dragons off the map, that puts so, so much pressure, not just in terms of the buffs you have and the extra like like free gold, essentially, you, you put on all five of your champions, but also just where the enemy team has to think about being constantly for the rest of the game going forward from that point.
0: Yeah, it's such a strong benefit to have being able to Really just have control over where the enemy team needs to be. Because every five minutes, if you're at three dragons already, every five minutes, the enemy has to be at that pit. Otherwise, they're just going to lose the game, most likely. And sorry, I want to go really quickly back to the Baron that Cloud9 got, because I actually think Vulcan had a really nice play here on the Blitzcrank. He sat over towards the EG side, over the wall, and as soon as he saw the graves starting to come in, he hex flashes over the wall and pulls him like out of Baron Pit and away from it, guaranteeing the smite for Blaber. Uh, it was just really clean, very smart play from him to to position in that way to just pretty much ensure that they get it and have uh, no risk of a steal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I was gonna draw attention to that if you didn't there. Um, and Vulcan was also at about a third hp at that time. So really all he can do is a blitz crank there is get the pull and then get away. And and we we see that he immediately puts on the extra move speed and just zooms right away from the fight after that.
0: But he did his job. Yeah, it was really clean, really smart play. Yeah. Was very happy to see that. Overall though, I think he definitely needs some extra practice on that blitz crank if we're going to continue to see this as a uh, prominent counter pick for the for the Tom Kench because aside from this he really looked shaky on it
1: i think the main problems this game were bot not getting their usual lead them not getting as far ahead as they expect to uh in a typical game and also not having that cross map pressure as well you know perks in the mid lane can be omnipresent with his galley but having both lanes losing on the side you're just ulting into a losing 2v2 or 3v3 depending on who shows up
0: yeah, and I, I have one last note for this game. I've been pretty critical of the rise. I, I haven't been a big fan of this pick. I will say though, he looks really good when he doesn't have to do anything early game and is able to get a solo ca- solo tower and all the plates super early. I mean if you just get him like a two K gold lead at five minutes, he looks great.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um <laughs> I think there may be a little bit more to it than that. I think you might be underselling <laughs> it just slightly with that analysis, but we'll see going forward. We'll definitely keep some stats on Rise early game and uh hopefully we can get back with some more detailed uh uh m- m- maybe a little more numbers oriented uh uh no, specifics for, about it. For sure. That I mean it, it
0: overall it looked good this game. Jizuke is is a great pilot for it overall. I think he's one of the better Rise players in North America right now. Um, I'm still not totally sold on the pick, but it it did its job here for sure. Uh, Let's move on, though, unless you have any other notes for this game.
1: Nope, I think that was good. Uh, The big takeaway again, C9's first loss. No one's perfect. Everyone has those games. Yep. But yeah, and a lot of times, you know, it's what a team needs to stay motivated is a couple of
0: losses here and there. For sure. Yeah. Uh, So moving on to the Saturday.
1: All right. So going into Saturday, we've got FlyQuest taking down CLG. We've got Cloud9 uh, with a victory against 100 Thieves, Dignitas winning over Golden Guardians, TSM over TL, big upset there, and Immortals taking a game off of Evil Geniuses to close out that
0: day. Yeah, this was quite the eventful day. One game that I want to touch on like super, super quickly, I just have a quick note on it, is that C9 versus 100 Thieves game, because uh, going into this week, both of these teams were... 3-0. and These were the only two 3-0 teams. It really felt like this was Cloud9 making sure that they weren't going to be the only undefeated team to lose a game this week. They managed to take down 100 Thieves, and it was kind of nutty, because Blabber tanks five jungle bans. They don't select their jungler until the second round, and as a result of that, 100 Thieves in the first round ban Udyr, Olaf, and Hecarim, and then they pick Talia. and second round, they ban the Nocturne, And the Graves, which that's like all of the key junglers taken off the board right there. But Blabber doesn't seem to care. Picks up the Rek'Sai. It's the first time that we've seen it played this season. Also, Zven picks up Samira for the first time this season. Both have great performances. Blabber goes 9, 5, and 13. Uh showing you can't ban him out it doesn't matter what you do he's he's gonna find success uh and sven had a pretty good showing for the first time on Samira going seven four and nine with c9 getting the win that was all i had for that let's move on to tsm versus tl
1: yeah so tsm versus tl we see a pantheon support in this game piloted by sword art now pantheon coming into this week did receive some nerfs to the jungle clear so going forward if we are going to see the pantheon again it is this global presence uh was very relevant in this game we'll probably still see it going forward um
0: it's not going to be that perma ban champ uh as it was in previous weeks though the priority on it has definitely fallen off quite a bit thanks to those nerfs
1: yeah for sure and uh it's a pretty interesting matchup it's it's into a nautilus So Nautilus just straight up never, ever, ever wants to pull Pantheon in this matchup. So the the big story in this game is definitely PoE's Azir. Uh, We've touched on this in previous weeks. And what we said was basically, it looks good, but it doesn't look like Bjergsen's Azir. This week, it looked like Bjergsen's Azir. He was on fire with this champ.
0: Yeah, that's one of the notes I have uh, fairly early on. POE is four zero and one on the Azir. <laughs> and I, I feel like at that point in the game, it's pretty much just impossible for TSM to lose.
1: <laughs> yeah. Really, you, you always take Azir as that late game sort of insurance policy. And in this game, getting those four kills onto Azir so quickly just skyrocketed the, the playmaking potential from the mid lane, uh, just accelerated it right right into to edging up against that late game sort of power spike uh much much sooner.
0: Yeah, and and touching on this Azir again, I I want to go back to picks and bans because TSM first pick the Azir a bit risky. I mean, there are some counter picks that that can uh, screw up the Azir. We see like assassins really hindering him. But I really I don't know what TL was doing with this draft. They put Jensen on Zoe which is not a champion that he really plays at all. And we also see Jin get pulled out, which was very anticlimactic, I guess, in the lock-in. It wasn't anything uh, out of this world. And, I mean, it really, as a result of that, we kind of saw it fall off in priority, and it it kind of just stopped getting picked overall. We saw other ADCs come out uh, above it, and then they take Nautilus as the support, which is a scaling support, really. I mean he he has a, a load of CC early. He's got a ton of it, but really, Nautilus is a late game menace. But you're against Nazir I just I don't really know what TL was going for here. It seemed so weird to me.
1: Yeah, there really didn't seem to be. I, I mean, I know what they were going for. Looking at the the Jin, the Kennen, and the uh, Zoe, it looks like some sort of poke slash catch comp, right? You, you poke in with the Zoe, you get one to two members low, right? Jin opens up with his ulti. then you have the Nautilus go in with the Graves backup damage, and as you're as you're counter engaged into. you you can cannon ulti to sort of control the flow of the fight.
0: Yeah, it just, it felt so awkward.
1: Really, I I think one of the big things this game was definitely Pantheon being able to control the engages bot lane. I, I again, I do think that TL had the stronger bot lane in this matchup uh, just because of the players, you know, core JJ, obviously. But coming out bot lane without a deficit, from lane phase, was a really key factor. I think possibly and potentially even more so than the Azir being so far ahead.
0: Uh, Possibly. I I have a note on TSM's bot lane, though. What's that? So at uh, around the uh, 8 minutes, 30 seconds mark, Sword Art decides to flash stun Tactical, who has Cleanse. And I feel like this harkens back to uh, a while ago. I want to say this was Lock-In Tournament. There was a play where Cloud9's Vulcan was playing the set. And Flash stunned the enemy ADC, who had cleanse. <laughs> and I, I I'll, maybe Sword Art just didn't see that play and didn't see the result. But it didn't turn out too well. It was kind of just a waste of flesh. Uh, And I don't think this one was quite as detrimental as the Cloud9 one overall, because the Cloud9 one was a huge swing in the other team's favor. With this one, it wasn't as bad. But it still just feels like such a waste of such a crucial summoner. And then he does it again. (laughs) He does the exact same play at 1350. uh, And I was super frustrated with it. Maybe it was enough to to turn this fight and win. I'm not sure if it would have been different if he didn't flash stun here because he gets both of he gets he gets the cleanse off Jin again and uh in the meantime the rest of TSM is coming down river to come in and and they do end up getting a quadra kill. Was it a result of the flash stun? I'm not too sure. I feel like they probably still would have come out on top. Maybe they might not have gotten the Jin if it weren't for the flash stun. When an ADC has clenched, don't flash on, don't flash on them. It's not worth it in most cases. Uh, it was fine here, because obviously they, they got the quadra kill, which was huge, but overall, I, I it, it bothers me seeing supports doing this. It really, really bothers me. Uh, and actually, <laughs> sorry, double lift. <laughs> so I, I was watching his VOD of this. Double lift's quote after, uh, it was the first time that he did this at the 8 minute 30 second mark lift goes I mean you can't bench sword art because you play him so much but he's just bad I don't know any other way to put it aside from he's just bad <laughs> and he wasn't awful this game he definitely had some very nice playmaking he had a very nice roam mid at one point and through the late game he had some nice plays but I definitely feel like Sword Art has been a weak point for TSM so far this, this season.
1: Yeah, I'm certainly inclined to agree. Uh, one of the notes I had down was uh, this Pantheon looks good just because he can go all in like he usually does, but instead of getting blown up, he just goes invulnerable for that one second while he backs away into his team, who's still like catching up to whatever misposition he's in. A couple other things I wanted to touch on real quick here. Huni looked great on Nar this game. Uh, this was finally a really nice Gnar performance. At one point, he hops in, transforms into Nar, throws Kennen back, forces Kennen out of lane, burning the flash. Really, really good laning prowess out of him. Nice to see. So, TL towards the end of this game, you can tell they haven't been here very much at all.
0: Yeah. It, it becomes very clear uh, the later this game goes that they're not used to playing from behind.
1: Yeah, so, so there's a bit of a lull in the mid-game where TSM is trying to just push up, get vision, starve resources, and it isn't the best look from TSM. They sort of set up the Azir turret, sit around mid, clear the jungle, but it, it creates this, like, vacuum in the game, right, where before... It was a process of going to the lanes, picking up kills, ganking, stuff like that. And then there's just this lull where nothing's really happened. And, and there is still value being accrued by TSM for sure. But I feel like if there were any point where TSM could let this lead slip slip away and lose, it was that point. And then they sort of snap out of it, start focusing more heavily towards the neutrals. Uh, TSM, two man's Baron while well, three members zone in this game.
0: Yep, and, and we've seen that fairly often with teams that have the Azir, especially when he gets ahead. It just burns Baron so fast. And
1: from there, they go into a triple lane push, uh, where they just push all three lanes with Baron. And this is TL's other key, key mistake in this game when they're behind. They just let everything fall. If you look, within a minute, all three inhibitor
0: turrets just go down, and TL does nothing. Yeah, it was like TSM just part the seas. (laughs) and and they they just had a free run at all <laughs> almost all of of uh TL's yeah, base basically the entire
1: base i don't think there was an actual real tangible engage until the first nexus tower was down and at that point you've basically given up the game anyways because you have three waves of supers crashing or or barren empowered minions rather
0: sorry yeah yeah one thing i'll say as well with Sword Art, he i look I, I don't know how much tl paid him he bought Duskblade this game, though, so I assume a decent amount. I I, I really feel like uh, support Duskblade isn't the play. <laughs> but at that point, TSM was so far ahead, it didn't really have that much of an impact. But not sure what he was thinking with that. I feel like there's much, much better options.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't seen too much of the pants support, so I really, quite honestly cannot criticize or or say anything that's educated there kind of kind of a weird pickup but i guess it's kind of akin to like the the pike where you're playing sort of the assassin finisher
0: yeah i don't know (laughs) i don't really know and
1: and really looking at tl they do have a lot of squishies maybe it was because tsm was so far ahead maybe it was because of the squishy composition of tl's team It's hard to say that that one's just kind of left up to speculation. there.
0: Yeah, it it was just a weird, weird item pick up from him. I again, I I feel like there's better options. Obviously, it wasn't that big of a detriment or anything, though. Uh, Do you have anything else on that game? Uh, I have one more note at the end. Double lift mention. It feels cheap to praise TSM because the draft was so one sided, but they did play well. And I, I think that's a pretty good way to sum up this game. Overall, uh, I I really think TSM had just a much, much stronger draft, but as you said, POE was a menace on the Azir. Huni had some really nice plays as well. Like Overall, they played well as a unit, which is good to see because they've struggled with that, but there's still some overall improvements, and if the draft was uh, a little better from the side of TL, this game could have gone differently for sure because TSM had some mistakes as well.
1: Yeah, I think I would be more worried about them sort of taking crutch picks in this like the Azir and the Pantheon if they didn't go 3-0 this week and if if they didn't show against other teams that they they can still get themselves in a winning position without necessarily the most crutch of picks.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so moving on, let's go to our next game which is Immortals versus. Evil geniuses.
1: Yeah, so this one had some surprises in it. Looking particularly towards the mid lane matchup. Tristana was picked. Everyone thought it was going marksman. And then it ended up going to the mid lane. And correct me if I'm wrong. This isn't the only... This is not the
0: only Tristana mid we saw this weekend. It is not. This is the first one, but it's not the only one. Cloud9 picked it up for perks as well. And I think the main pull with the Tristana mid is it kind of forces the enemy mid laner or at least someone to always be mid lane because if there's ever a time that Tristana is in mid alone the tower is just gone
1: Uh, I think it's that in lane and then I think outside of lane looking at the overall comp Immortals comp in this game was very good about creating Chaotic team fights you can you can never line up because of the seraphine Rel is always going to go on to at least two players and kind of get them Alone uh, In order to be focused and then Camille is good at isolating Lilia is good at running through the team kind of creating chaos So in that sort of situation it really opens up the field for Tristana to uh, Free attack someone at range and then after she gets that first kill, jump around with a reset rocket jump.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and we saw that a lot. Honestly, Insanity piloted the Tristana really well
1: into a hard matchup, too. I, It's easier early, like levels one and two, and you really have to focus on getting that lead, which uh, Insanity did perfectly in this game. He really trunked out LeBlanc level one. And, y- you know, I got to call out Chizuke a little bit there. You're going up against a marksman. You should know you're
0: going to be weak or early. You can't just throw out your ability and expect to be okay. I, I'm glad you called that out because I was going to. If not, he kind of just W'd in for damage on Insanity. But uh, Tristan is able to just put that bomb on his head and it gets rid of like two thirds of his health bar. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like it, it popped the LeBlanc passive. It was enough to pop LeBlanc passive. Just that one level one trade.
1: Yep, and that's really all the pressure they needed early. It kind of put the mid lane into that sort of favored for Tristana setting where Jizuke just wasn't able to get that that bully play pattern out because he could never really walk up feeling safe after that point.
0: Yeah, and one other thing with the draft that I'm really, really happy about from Immortals is uh, putting Revenge back on a carry pick. This guy obviously has incredible... Uh, skill both mechanically and uh, he seems like a fairly smart player as well put him on carries and uh the results have been pretty good for them when they do that he was on the camille this game went four one and eleven had almost an 80 percent kill participation through this game he looked really great on on it and i'm glad to see them putting him back on carries and and not on that ivern like we saw last week
1: and I'd also like to take a second and point out this is the exact same matchup for Impact who is on Gragas again. Yes. So this is A Camille into Impact's Gragas and my goodness is this night and day from the C9 game in the matchup. Yeah.
0: For sure. You definitely see some skill differences, I think. And it's it's interesting cuz Fudge has pro experience like he he came over from Oceania and yet Revenge is a rookie. And really, the way he handles impact in this game and applies pressure, you wouldn't know it. Yeah, for sure. He looks really clean. I will say Immortals overall put more pressure on top lane than Cloud9 did in that game. It it seemed pretty clear that they were trying to get Revenge ahead to put him in a carry position. So not the same as the Cloud9 game, but still. And that's actually my my next big note. Zertzi was playing really well. Uh, he was playing a lot around Revenge, which I really liked. I mean, his his score alone tells you how well he was playing. He was 7-0 and 10, uh, which is really, really impressive. He had like an 80 CS lead at the end of the game over Sven Skarin. He had an, almost a 90% kill participation, which is just insane. I'm really liking Zertzi so far in North America. He has looked really really good even in games that Immortals are losing it seems like he's still able to make plays for the team and find success overall and I'm I'm really glad to see that I'm look forward I look forward to seeing more of what this guy can do
1: and I also think Lilia as a champion uh you know this isn't the only carry performance we've seen out of her in this weekend alone I think she's quickly emerging as well as a great, great skirmishing jungler who can really abuse her mobility in these fights.
0: For sure. It'll It'll be interesting to see uh, if she's able to stay relevant after the, the jungle changes come in because she does kind of fall into that power farming jungler. Uh, she is really, really fast clear. so And her ganks, although can be really good if you're able to land the seed, it, they're obviously not nearly as strong as, as some other junglers. So it'll be interesting to see if she stays relevant even even past the changes, and I I gotta say though it's kind of nuts how much Xerzi was able to carry considering he went for the Moonstone Renewer build. It wasn't the the Leandries, which is really more of the carry build for Lelia. Overall, it just gives you a ton more damage. It was the more supportive. I, I've heard some people call it the Med Deer build.
1: Yeah, and, and we've we've seen this Moonstone becoming sort of uh, a meta pickup. Uh, some teams opting to even go two plus Moonstones in a
0: single game, which is what we saw here. Uh, Reyes picked one up as well, and it gives you so much healing in team fights.
1: Yeah, and that that's really the big draw is just that that healing over time that it gives. I I guess that makes it worth it more than the damage. I don't. I haven't really looked at the numbers there. But all the pro teams seem to be doing it. It does seem to be something that's more meta. And really, if you look at the damage the Li- can provide on Alilia, it has to be doing an incredible amount of healing to outweigh that potential benefit.
0: Yeah, I was I was thinking the same thing, and I, I think that shows there was the one team fight. Uh, I think it was like roughly around the twenty minute mark where uh, a fight broke out around dragon, and. it it seemed like eg just wasn't doing damage because all of immortals health bars were just full (laughs) like as soon as they take damage they would just get healed back up by by either the lilia or the seraphine it seems like just a a super valuable pickup right now and a big draw with it is since it is a support item it is much cheaper than the Leandri's, which means you get it much sooner
1: Yeah. Now I believe this the item has already been touched and balanced once. I could see it potentially being touched again if this play pattern continues going forward. Riot doesn't usually like to favor an item where you have where you tend to buy it on two to three members when it's meant to be that sort of supportive style of item. So definitely, we'll probably be looking at changes for that
0: in the coming weeks if this play pattern continues. We would not be surprised to see that item getting some nerfs. Uh that's all I've got for the Immortals EG game. Was there any other notes that you had?
1: Not really. Overall, this is just a very dominant looking performance from Immortals. They look very strong in this game. Uh the the final score, of course, uh really reflecting that. It, it's like 18 to 4,
0: I think. Uh, I was it was 19 to 4. 19
1: did they get one right at the end there? Oh, yeah.
0: I think, yeah. Eight towers to one, and overall a 14,000 gold lead.
1: Yeah. Just really dominant across the board. I think, uh, Cristana was key. I think Willia was key. The bot lane really showing, you, you know, Seraphine 008 uh, in her role as a more supportive bot lane coming out with that farm. So, uh, yeah, I, that's, that's about it. Just props to Immortals looking good uh this is of course eg the same team that was able to beat c9 this week so you know you know you sort of have that triangle going on where like imt beats eg which beats c9 which beats i <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah <laughs> it, it does make for exciting standings and i, I think it's a lot better no, than definitely. having teams being undefeated or you know winless um so i'm definitely liking that there is sort of that these triangles going on and that there are rivalries that are able to be created anyone can take a game off anyone else it makes it much more ex- exciting than in previous seasons where it was just oh you, you know top teams going up against bottom two team we know how this is going to play out
0: yeah definitely it, it it right now it feels like any team can can beat another team on on any given day like we we saw week 1 Immortals take down Team Liquid, which was just insane. This week we see TSM besting Liquid as well. We see the Evil Geniuses taking down Cloud Nine. It, it really feels like uh, it, it's anyone's game for each match.
1: And uh, I think this next game, the Hundred Thieves Liquid game, really expands on that too. Uh, this is two more top of the top of the league teams.
0: I and 100 mean, thieves, one top of the league team. Well, and it's yeah, not TL. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well, now going into this game, TL is three and two, so they are still on that
0: uh, higher half. Yep, and hundred thieves would have been uh, four and one. At four this and point. one. Yeah. So it was still very close going into the game overall.
1: Yeah, I would still call TL a favorite in this
0: game. Would you? Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: Uh, but that's not the way it plays out here, and uh, you know, TL did try something a little funky this time.
0: They went with a Quinn top. Yep. And we've seen this in the past as a common counterpick into the Renekton. I'll be honest, a lot of the time it doesn't really succeed and that was kind of the case this time.
1: Yeah, I think this is a case of it sounds good in theory but doesn't look as good in practice.
0: Uh and I think the draft was really interesting here because it was kind of a trade uh TL Pretty much right away locks in their bot lane, whereas 100 Thieves really prioritizing the uh, getting prior- priority in the solo lanes. As a result, it, it leads to the like Renekton getting picked very early, allowing Alfari to get the counter pick. But really, one main note that I have is TL has almost no front line. Uh, they really only have the rel for, for a tank, whereas 100 Thieves has Renekton, Olaf and Nautilus.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely big disparity in the tankiness there. And TL has more global presence in this game. They have the more move speed in the jungle, just off of Lillia's passive move speed. Uh, she can get around the map very quickly. Same with Quinn. I would count Quinn's ultimate as a pseudo-global, even though it's only a move speed buff. It's so extreme that she roams you know, faster than Hecarim using E, basically.
0: Oh, for sure, and especially as you uh, skill that or, uh, her ultimate up more uh, when you get it to six, like when you hit sixteen and get that to to level three, it's nuts how much move speed you you get.
1: Now, where I'm a little unsure, and, and you'll appreciate this, is that rise in the mid lane. Uh, rise can TP himself with a result, sure, but you usually when you have a rise, you're looking to TP several members. And really, Lilia and Quinn just don't need it. You know, there, there's no tank there. If Quinn TPs in and it's unfavorable, her and Ryze just get blown up. So I'm, I'm really not sure if I, I think TL may have over-invested in that sort of
0: uh, omni-global presence rather than maybe some more tankiness. I agree, because if I'm not mistaken, they also have the Kaisa this game, which also has a Uh, I mean, when you skill it up, the range on it becomes kind of ridiculous. That's almost a pseudo-global as well. Like, she doesn't need Rise alt either.
1: Furthermore, Galio was up this game. Galio was not banned.
0: I I was really shocked to see that, and I think overall, I would have much rather see TL pick up the Galio instead of the Rise.
1: Yeah, I think it's great into uh, 100 Thieves' dive comp, especially. You know, it's great counter-engage, against a rampaging Olaf. It gives everyone that sort of damage reduction as he's ulting in. So so yeah, a little confusing there. Maybe an error in the draft that they can look to grow and expand from. And 100 Thieves really... I've said this in previous weeks, Del Monte on TF. He's looked so good. <laughs> he looks so good, but at the same time, I worry a little bit because he's looked so good on this pick that... I want to see what else he's got at this point. Like, I'm excited for him. That This is a young native NA player. I just want, like, I'm very nervous for a meta shift at this point.
0: Yeah, it's interesting uh, that teams haven't started just banning the TF against 100 Thieves. It seems really, really strange because DeMonte has looked like one of the best twisted fates in North America overall, I think. Like, he's looked so clean on it.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm just, I'm really hoping it's not a crutch pick for him. I really hope he has a, a uh, deeper champion pool than what he's shown so far, even though it's been so successful. If he can find this level of success on two to three other champs that are sort of meta safe, where if it shifts out of globals or something like that, uh, he still has these sort of good standout performances where he's applying pressure uh it, it, in a strong proactive sort of way uh i really think he could be up there with like the top three to four mid laners in the league you know
0: on, on honestly yeah I, I i don't think that's too crazy not to looking say. that
1: good right now poe having a better week not looking as good as maybe previous seasons uh, uh ho- hopefully that's on the upswing obviously but but with these other mid laners kind of raising some questions about their performance Uh, this is definitely a kid that's standing out in the league right now.
0: One other thing that I want to touch on for this game is 100 Thieves pick up the Ezreal for FBI, and I think it was a pretty interesting build path. We haven't seen Ezreal uh, I don't think at all. I think this is the first Ezreal we've seen this season. But he rushes the Essence Reaver, uh, which pretty much makes it so that he can skip tier completely. That gives him enough mana that you don't really have to worry about uh, getting the Manamune. Yeah,
1: this is an item that's received buffs over the the course of the last few patches, so it is in a very strong state. Uh, We see that here, Ezreal rushing it even over a Mythic first.
0: Yeah, and then right after that, he goes into the Duskblade for his Mythic, uh, which seems a little strange, but overall, uh, I think the main key here is that it gives that passive ability haste.
1: Yeah, when you're playing Ezreal, that ability haste is just so important because most of your damage does come just from the the constant poke and harass you're able to throw it with your your Q and your W Q combo.
0: Did you have any other notes for this game? Because I think uh I think we've covered all the main things. I mean Hunter Thieves played really, really cleanly this game. Uh it felt like TL wasn't able to do a ton overall. Yeah,
1: so so, uh, 100 Thieves do a few things right this game. They pressure dragons early. They get to that critical three dragon point where they're forcing TL to play into them around the map. Uh, this comes off of Ezreal getting an early kill bot. I will say, Core JJ looks amazing on this rel. Rel is a champion we've seen come out over the last two weeks, and I undersold this champion hugely when she was first spoiled and first previewed. The intricacies in her kit and the way she is able to use different tricks and mounts and dismounts to stun lock opponents and get that gap close is just really impressive when piloted at a high level, and I am quickly, quickly becoming a fan of seeing it in in most games in the l c s right now.
0: Yeah, I think core JJ and Smoothie have really come out as the two prominent rel players. Both have just made it look incredibly strong
1: other than that, One final point, TL again in this game, don't look very strong behind. 100 Thieves get the Baron buff, and they they go for the final push. But looking at the gold, at 30 minutes, it's about a 5k lead. You know, 5v5, everyone's up. And TL just don't push the go button until one of their Nexus turrets is down again. So this is two two games, TL is behind, and this is what happens. And I think they really need to work on, like, I I don't know if you run drills where you intentionally
0: sandbag in the mid game or what. It seems like they need to start trying that though. Uh,
1: Honestly, it's a hard coachable moment. And it's it's something that even with all the practice tools we have as a league community now, you you know, the actual practice tool, running scrims where you sandbag, stuff like that it seems like a really difficult position to get your teammate, your team to play into, but Jack's going to have to find some way to simulate this and have them play out of it because you can tell they're not practiced just from being so good. The first couple of weeks, uh, and the lock in tournament. And this, it's just definitely a, uh, a pain point right now. And I think it's something that, you know, even if it's one or two games over the two splits, if it's something they can pull out and improve on and maybe turn one or two of those games, you know, I, I don't anticipate they'll always be behind like this, but it's definitely a very good tool to have to always be dangerous and to not just get pushed into the end.
0: Yeah, for sure. So that was game one on Sunday. 100 Thieves gets the win. Second game, TSM versus Immortals. TSM coming out on top of that one. Then Dignitas completing their 3-0 and weekend, taking down EG. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, an impressive week from them and uh, kind of the diet of teams that they were taking on. Game one was Immortals. We've seen flashes from Immortals, but overall, nothing crazy from them. And then the other game was against golden guardians who are one in five. They seem to be one of the more bottom teams in the league right now. So not crazy for Dignitas to get a win against them, but I think it's uh very impressive seeing them pick up this win against evil geniuses overall. And then the next game that we're going to get into is the cloud nine versus fly quest game, or as I like to call it cloud nine versus budget cloud nine.
1: Yeah, they were touch- They were touching on that. Uh, on the desk fly having two former c9a members and licorice this year
0: well and that's actually my my note it's budget c9 aside from licorice because <laughs> uh licorice is obviously just one of the top 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 laners in the league and he costs them a pretty penny but otherwise budget c9 <laughs> i think is somewhat accurate at least but getting into this game Right off the bat, I'm nervous for FlyQuest because Vulcan gets the Alistar. uh, And they even take Samira for Zven, who played it in the game before this. And that's a terrifying lane to play into. I mean, it has a ton of kill pressure to begin with. And then you put arguably the best (laughs) Alistar player in North America in there. Not a great start in draft for FlyQuest. And they also grab the Samira blind. Leaving a counter pick for Licorice, and it doesn't turn out well. No, it really doesn't. I think a lot of that is
1: Cloud9 knowing to focus that top lane sort of mismatch. We did see a lot of attention up there for sure, but Fudge did look a lot better this game, going up four zero one at one point uh, towards the mid game there. Really impressive scoreline there. Really uh, contrasting from some of the other games we saw this weekend out of him. And also, we see the double ADC comp again. We see that Tristana being put in the mid lane. uh, Perk's piloting at this time.
0: And then for your AP damage, Blabber picked up the Talia, And he's looked really clean on it overall. I was a little nervous this game because there's not a ton of hard CC for him to follow up on. Obviously, Tristana mid doesn't have any. uh, So ganks mid, practically impossible, unfortunately. But he makes up for it, making some nice plays with Fudge and of course playing around the bot lane as well Vulcan has a ton of CC which makes it easy to hit the Talia shove overall I will say
1: I think looking at the different contrasting styles we've seen coming out this weekend as far as double marksman damage on the top lane etc I think this is the bare minimum of tankiness and CC you want on a team uh, coming out of C9 and, and this comp this game. We've got the Gragas and we've got the Alistar. Uh, and to a lesser extent, you know, we have some abilities Talia to Taliyah Wall, uh, Tr- Tristana Pushback, sure. But as as far as hard engage and that frontline, I think two with many CC abilities is the bare minimum you want for to sure. have.
0: It, it seems like that's been a focus for teams and when teams don't have that, they, they do really struggle. C9 didn't start off very well this game. Jose Diotto had a really nice gank mid lane. Getting Perk's Flash, following it with his own, picking up the kill there for first blood was very, very clean. And then shortly after, something that doesn't happen often at all, Blabber actually fails a gank bot. It looked like a pretty clean engage. Vulcan got the knock up. Blabber flashes, follows with the Talia shove. But Johnson is able to flash heal, get out, and Vulcan ends up actually dying. He took two tower shots and Diamond ignited him to secure the kill there. Overall, more summoners blown from FlyQuest because it was only the flash from Blabber and Ignite from Vulcan where it was both of Johnson's summoners and Diamond's Ignite burned in that gank. So it leaves the potential for more out of Cloud9 later, but initially FlyQuest getting the better of them. And then Jose Diodo comes back. No, sorry. Diamond actually comes mid around the 650 mark, flashes right on top of perks uh, with the Leona getting the Q stun, picking up a kill. Unfortunately, he got the kill, though. Uh, Wasn't able to get that over on Palafox, who was 002, not able to pick up either of the kills on perks which uh a little unfortunate for the syndra not getting ahead uh and then it was around this time cloud nine twitter strikes again uh so yeah during champ select cloud nine tweeted all of you making fun of us for picking up an adc for mid lane it was the strat all along and then after (laughs) perks goes down zero two they tweet out a uh, a reply to it saying don't worry starting zero and two is part of the strat
1: your social media is just so good man
0: it's just so good (laughs) it's great yeah i I, they definitely have the best uh social media team (laughs) out of uh all the lcs teams i think i will say
1: i really did feel bad for perks this game he just got constantly dove. This is the correct way to deal with a scaling pick obviously, you know, that Tristana is really strong later into the game uh getting that extra range uh which we've touched on as being a really really valuable stat that's very hard to get on anything. But yeah, man, it, just getting constantly dove under your turret just feels so bad.
0: Yeah, he he didn't really have a a fun time overall. I don't think there was any, like, major misplays or anything from him either. It was just FlyQuest was really focusing him down. Kind of unfortunate. I don't think there was a ton that he could do about it. The really... One of the first turning points for Cloud9, though, I think, was there was a really nice play. Top lane, Vulcan, and Fudge set it up. Blabber, previously burned licorice's flash so with the alistar coming up to help it was pretty much a free kill on licorice and they were even able to get it over onto zven on the samira getting him his first kill which was really really clean and right after they're able to follow it up with the rift herald taking first tower FlyQuest had pretty solid control over the dragons which was a bit unfortunate but i think I think we're seeing two different strategies come out as far as dragon control goes. I think on one side, we're seeing a lot of teams go, okay, we're playing for soul. We're going to make sure that we're controlling that pit early on, picking up all of the early dragons uh, and and using that soul point to either pressure other objectives or just taking soul for ourselves and winning the game off it. And then I think on the other hand, we're seeing some teams go, fine take your dragons. We'll take your base. And I I almost feel like that's kind of what Cloud9 was trying to do here. I I saw some other teams do it as well through this weekend where they seem to just not really worry too much about dragons and focus a lot more on trying to get the gold lead so that the game just ends before that soul becomes a threat, really.
1: Yeah, I think this is definitely something that no team has really been able to totally quantify. I think a lot of that has to do with the dynamic of having four randomly spawning drakes where you never really know what buffs you're going to get going into the game. Uh, so I, I think it speaks a lot to a uh, team's one in-game decision making and, and to ability to balance dragons with the other objectives. For example, in this game we see uh, the first dragon, Cloud Drake, being taken by uh, flyquest while top is going down. So they traded, uh, Harold and first tower for the first Drake, and flyquest do end up going up three drakes in this game, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they, it was three to nothing at one point. But as you uh alluded to at that point they are so far behind in map control and also uh, items for team fighting pressure that although they do have this three dragon advantage, they are not ever in a position to fight for that fourth other than some sort of uh, suicide steal from Jose Diotto. Yep.
0: Uh, and actually, speaking of a suicide steal, towards the end of the game, uh, really the, the straw that broke the camel's back here, Cloud9 start up the Baron at this point FlyQuest was down like 10K gold or something insane like that. It was just a huge lead for Cloud9. And Jose Diodo goes for a Baron steal. And I actually, it it didn't work, but I I love seeing that play because realistically, when you're down that much gold, what else is going to get you back into this game? Like that's such an insurmountable gold lead that I think really the only way they have any chance is getting the Baron to stall out the game trying to maybe take a tower with it or something to uh, just get a little bit of more income into your pockets. So I'm I'm really, really glad to see Jose Diodo trying that, even though it didn't work, because I, I feel like there's some jugglers that wouldn't. They would just say, like, we're down far too much. Give up Baron. We'll try and defend base. And when the other team has that much of a gold lead, I don't think that's an option, because they get Baron and they just win really uh and and realistically that's what ends up happening but I, I like the play overall
1: yeah i i think that uh this is sort of the antithesis of what we saw with liquid where they just sort of folded and sat back and let everything happen i think that and you know this is speaking a lot just to jose diodo's uh credit as an individual player here right Uh, He was decisive this game. He was bold. He went for an early tower dive. He was always making proactive, aggressive plays wherever he was. And I think that even though this chance at a steal was very low percentage, it was something, which is more than we saw out of even top teams. And I, I, I think that if he can sort of focus that down a little bit more, focus his aggression down and refine it just a little bit more into maybe slightly higher percentile plays, FlyQuest really will be in a good spot to take games
0: off of some of these more refined teams going forward. For sure. I, I actually think this is uh, this game specifically is a really good parallel for the junglers because Jose Diodo reminds me a ton of Rookie Blabber. Uh, Rookie Blabber was that guy that didn't have an off switch. He was always on. He was always looking to make plays. He was super super aggressive and uh, mind you they had Reaper as their coach through this, who's probably one of the best coaches, if not the best coach North America has ever seen. Um, so Reaper was able to really rein in Blabber and get him thinking, like, okay, like, yeah, I get a kill here, but do I get out? Like, what what's my escape plan doing this? Uh, sure, I I maybe go in and try and get a steal, but is that steal worth going for and stuff? And I think if if Jose Diotto is able to figure that out as well, I I really think this guy has potential to be one of the best junglers in north america because i'm i really like what we see from this guy so far it just feels really raw unrefined super aggressive without an off switch sort of thing
1: yep it would be nice to see him maybe pull a few tank slash engaged champions out and have uh some sort of standout performance just so we can see uh, a diversity coming out because again you know what ifs what if the meta shifts what if these jungle nerfs hit really hard then you'll be forced to play on those sort of tanky low econ jungles but for now yeah definitely quickly becoming a fan of this guy uh th- this being his first year in na it's it's really the first any of us have been exposed to him and i really love this sort of aggressive play it really is easy to be to get behind and to become a fan of someone who's always
0: trying to gain that advantage no matter what Definitely. That was all I had for this game. Do you have anything else that you wanted to touch on?
1: No, that was about it.
0: So let's move in to the very last game of week two of the LCS, which was CLG versus Golden Guardians. uh, Bottom of the barrel teams, unfortunately. But CLG picking up their first win.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, good for them. It's about time. And also, uh, th- there was some pre-game action in this, and there's a little bit of trash talk pre-game going on between the top laners. Uh, Niles was uh, getting pretty aggressive on Twitter about how much he was going to stomp in the top lane, and, well, we'll see how that <laughs> panned
0: out as we uh, get through this game. Hint, it really... You know, if history has told us anything of uh, trash talking in 2021... <laughs> it usually doesn't turn yeah. out well for the person doing the trash talking. That being said, <laughs>
1: if you're listening, don't go over and hate on anyone who's trash talking because I love to see the banter. It makes the league more exciting as a whole. People are going to be made to eat their words, but but let it be kept to uh you, you know, the game. You know, that they come out a little red-faced after playing and and getting stomped on. That's enough. You don't have to take it any further,
0: you know. Keep it playful, don't be mean. For sure, I I love the trash talk and and really when it comes to uh, pro play, I I think trash talk is always kind of playful banter. A lot of these players know each other and are friends outside of the game, uh, so it, it it becomes a lot more fun. I think seeing the trash talk uh, bounce back and forth on Twitter and stuff. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um. So so getting into this game, we see uh, Galio support. Uh.
0: No Globals at all for CLG. Which is... Uh, which we, we've we seen in the past. That seems to be a losing strategy in most cases, but not here.
1: Big mismatch on the Globals. Also, we see Nocturne being banned out by Golden Guardians. And after watching the game last week, why? <laughs> it looked so bad. The build didn't look good. like, yeah. Like, oh my goodness, dude. Just play it and take the... or, or let them pick it and take the free win. Like, if CLG had had Nocturne, I think this game would have ended differently. Uh, honestly,
0: I'm I'm curious if that Nocturne ban though is because Golden Guardians were planning on picking up the Galio. Nocturne is a huge counter to Galio because it turns Galio's ult off, as well as Gangplank, as well. Just like having globals overall, Nocturne is a huge counter to that. So it, it, they might have been in just thinking like we don't want this guy to be able to stop our globals, but seeing the performance you do question if it's really worth it um so so getting into
1: this one first thing first blood goes to finn on the Aatrox top super funny they they just touch on his uh niles's twitter comments and immediately after he he gets that first blood or, I, I guess it's a, it's a few minutes after, but, but still. Really funny that it's going to, to, uh, Finn after that banter. Uh, Aatrox just becomes an unkillable god in this game. Uh, very akin to his lore. Basically, this is just like the, the personification of Aatrox's lore in one game where he just becomes this monster destroying structures and smacking stuff with his sword and, and going through and just slaying everyone in sight.
0: And, and to be fair that that's a really common thing you see when an Aatrox is able to get ahead in lane it it just becomes so hard to deal with when as soon as he starts to get a, any sort of a gold lead and lane pressure
1: yeah now we did see a different build this week we saw stridebreaker coming out obviously those pretty pretty impactful nerfs coming into gore drinker so Aatrox did go ahead and build the other chainspike whip item it looked fine it looked good you you know he was still able to do what he wanted, uh, which was basically just kill everyone. COG failed two dies, bought this game, not a good look. <laughs> no, really shows why they're at the bottom of the table. Like like it, it it's just bad. It's just bad coordination, bad execution.
0: And, and as we've talked about, I think, I I think one of the big things that these, these bottom of the ladder teams, one main thing that they seem to struggle with overall is just their communication. It seems to be a really big issue for like CLG. We saw Dignitas struggle with it in the past. Golden Guardians seems really shaky with their comms. It just seems to be a, a common thing for these weaker teams.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of it does come down to that team play, though. I think it's been focused on way more so and exacerbated way more so. This first couple of weeks just with the global meta being online right now i i think that having two to three huge cooldown abilities to coordinate with your entire team is just so much to ask especially for newer rosters yes they had the lock-in tournament a lot of these players don't look like they're quite there yet hopefully these bottom tier teams can push themselves forward uh, and not have to rely on a meta shift uh because really really communication is something that more or less does transcend metas and will always separate
0: teams without a doubt i i, I mean, we see with a lot of these bottom rosters though it's it's new rosters i mean c l g specifically, they're still without their their main jungler. Broxa is still not here <laughs> uh and I think that's really putting them behind and I think we'll see them. Stay behind for a while because it's it's going to take them a bit, even once he's here, to just become a cohesive team.
1: Absolutely. Now RJS was playing for CLG again. Uh, Poe Belter still riding the bench off of last week. He looked okay. I I, I don't really have anything, sort of sort of uh, stand out or or huge to say. Uh, he had a nice scoreline by the end.
0: Actually, I sorry I, I just looked it up. And we have an update. Broxa is in the USA. His visa issues have been cleared. He he tweeted out today that, that he is in the US now. So hopefully we'll we'll see him come in for them next week and that might give them a bit of a better look.
1: Uh yeah. Uh hopefully he is able to take part in all the team activities this week. I'm not quite sure what the US laws are right now, uh in terms of quarantining. I, I, I know with the 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 change in policy uh uh coming from the the new white house team some things were changed there there are more restrictions now so we'll, we'll see what exactly he's able to do hopefully they can bring him up to speed pretty quickly though
0: yeah i think if not this week we'll most likely see him next week so that should be good um hopefully that'll that'll help them out and give a bit of a boost and even if He's not able to uh be like with the team, hopefully they can get him in on some some scrims at, at least or at least like some team practices or something to get him some time with with this roster overall aside from
1: those two big failed dives in the first ten to fifteen minutes from c o g they look quite dominant during this game,
0: yeah, I mean looking at the box score. To end the game, you've got Finn at five zero and six on the Trucks. RJS played great on the Zoe, going five zero four. Uh, Smoothie, who has been looking like Ricky Smoothie, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from this guy after struggling for the past couple of years. Uh, he went one one eleven on Leona, which is very good to see. And Wild Turtle, uh, seemingly not inting on Samira this time, going six two and three.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a very good performance across the board. I think everyone was. I think everyone was playing their roles very well. Uh, Gragas getting assists, doing the engage, doing the CC. Uh, Aatrox was super aggressive, had some great TPs this game uh, for the flank with his ultimate. Uh, Really set up those fights very nicely and created that early game lead that the team needed to really get to this point.
0: And I I think the one last thing to really touch on is that uh, Gragas because they brought it jungle uh, we haven't seen that yet Greg jungle has been a thing in the past it has uh decent clear speed obviously it, it doesn't compete with the likes of a graves or Udyr or some of these other champs that we're seeing right now but uh, it has pretty solid clear and uh, the main strength is just in the gank potential because the flash body slam is just impossible to react to really and he also has the cask to set up ganks as well Um yeah, so far we've only seen the Gregus played top or support. So it's it's always fun when you have a champ that can be played in uh not just two but three different roles.
1: Yeah, and as a final note to CLG here, I think that if they are going to be stuck in a position going forward for the next week or so uh until everything is cleared for their main roster I think if they're going to be stuck in a position where they do have to play with their second string jungler, maybe a more supportive tanky look like this isn't such a bad thing.
0: It definitely seems to be a much better look for the team overall. Griffin has has struggled and in, in, the, in previous years as well. Uh, un, unfortunately, this guy just hasn't been able to find too much success.
1: You know, I, I, again, we, we've uh, touched on it a few times. Maybe it is a meta thing. Maybe this playstyle does just suit him better. He really didn't look the best on the Assassin. He hasn't had too much success on these fast, clear champions. You know, I'm alluding to the Nocturne. I'm alluding to the other meta champions, right? The the Olaf, et cetera, that have been sort of dominant right now. So maybe a meta shift is what he needs. Maybe a, a different style to change things up. You know, uh, obviously it's hard to say from just one game of success because you can't really take this in a vacuum because Aatrox was just a solo carry at this point in the game. For sure. Yep.
0: Yeah. And uh, RJS was uh, insta killing people (laughs) as Zoe is to do when ahead.
1: You know, overall, congratulations to CLG finally on the board. Things are looking up for them. Hopefully very, very soon they will be at full strength and they can start putting some more uh, check marks in that W column going forward.
0: Yep, very happy to see them get the W, uh, get that zero off of the wins column, put a one there. Uh, Would hate to see a team not get a single win through a split, and hopefully we'll see more from them as well, especially once Broxa is in and everything. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about for week two of the LCS?
1: Not really. Just to sort of reiterate, you know, big stories this week. Dig three zero. I personally am going to try to pick at least one game from them next week. I feel bad not picking a game on their three zero week this week. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, and then TL, 1 and 2 this week. We'll see if they can come back from struggling. TSM, keep an eye on them going forward. If they continue this trend, they're looking towards being a top-four team and c9 keep an eye on them as well faltering a little bit this week
0: yeah so thank you for listening to this episode of summoners corner if you want to follow me on social media i'm on facebook and instagram at will rolling on air and i'm on twitter at will rolling live josh where can we find you
1: You can find me on Twitch streaming somewhat infrequently, but I'm hoping to get back into a regular schedule at Snapcaster 13.
0: Thank you for listening and stay safe.